Well, please remain standing and turn with me, if you will, in God's Word to uh, Luke chapter 5. We'll be reading the first 16 verses. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. If you're using one of the church Bibles, you'll find that starting on page 860. Beloved saints, uh, this is God's word. Let us give our attention to the reading of it. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked to be put out a little from the land, And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night long and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. The signal to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they lifted, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would not, sorry, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us ask that our our God would be pleased to meet us in his word and speak to us through it uh, this morning. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet. It is our guide through the dark. It is the wisdom and truth that we follow each day. Indeed, your word is sweeter than honey and sharper than swords. Your word is healing. It is justice. And it is ours to be obeyed. Your word is our understanding of your grace, your peace, and your love. And these are the reasons we draw near to it, that we might know you and your blessings. Speak to us then through your word, we pray. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. We're just saying, holy, holy, holy. Uh, One of the favorites. I wonder how many of you even looked at your hymnals because you know it so well. Uh, it comes from Revelation 4, 
and Isaiah 6. Uh, if you've ever listened to R.C. Sproul much, there's no possible way you have missed him read that passage in Isaiah 6. Uh, that gravelly voice, that slow, patient cadence with which he read it. Isaiah 6, it's a profound passage of Scripture. The prophet Isaiah was given a rare glimpse into something that few ever get to see this side of death. He had the privilege of entering into the Lord's heavenly temple, into his throne room, and there he saw the Lord in all his glory. And on the throne... Surrounded by angelic worshipers, uh, they were calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I apologize that I can't read it like R.C. Just imagine his voice and it'll be more enjoyable. Uh, but God's holiness refers to the fact that, that he is not like us. There's nothing common about our God. He is perfect. He is pure. He is without spot or stain or blemish. There's not one iota of of injustice or, or unrighteousness in him. He has nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of. He is perfect and he is pure, so pure, so perfect that sinners can't continue to look upon his holiness and live. And this is what Isaiah is able to catch a glimpse of as he enters the heavenly temple. And it was more than he could bear. Such purity, such, such perfection, such holiness... It all shone like a spotlight on on every little sin, every little blemish, every little impurity in Isaiah's heart and life. And there he was, standing before his God, completely exposed, completely vulnerable. What would your response be if that was you? If you came face to face with the Lord of glory, if you were for that moment able to see past all the distractions, all your excuses, if you saw God for who he is and as a result became keenly and abundantly aware of every little imperfection within yourself, how would you respond? Well, that's exactly what happens to Peter in our passage today. He has an Isaiah experience. And how he responds is telling. And through this this lakeside episode that we're going to look at today, God is telling us something about ourselves and something about him. He's telling you that you don't need to fear being vulnerable with God because he is merciful and forgiving. Through this episode, through this, this, this time with, 
Simon Peter, the pastor's calls him Simon, he's later renamed Peter. God's telling you that you don't need to fear being vulnerable with him because he's full of mercy and forgiveness. And that's good news. And so as we look at our passage, we're going to first look at, at the forgiveness Peter finds when he acknowledges his sin. And then we'll see how Jesus actually surpasses the kindness of forgiving Peter by calling Peter to be an ambassador for grace. And then finally, we want to reflect on what this passage tells us about what kind of Lord Jesus is. So that's what we want to do. Look at the forgiveness, look at Peter's commissioning, and then look really at who this reveals Jesus to be, what kind of Savior, what kind of Lord uh, he is. That's our, our, our plan for this morning. Our, our passage begins with a story that is familiar to many, uh, anybody who's ever seen a flannel graph in Sunday school has no doubt seen Jesus preaching from the boats. But was he sitting, as it says in our passage? That's the question. Was it an accurate flannel graph? Uh, Jesus was going through the land, teaching in synagogues, on hills, by lakes, and as he comes near Lake Gennesaret, his popularity is growing, and, and the crowd is pushing in so tight that he's getting knocked about while he's trying to teach. Two boats are sitting there by the seashore, I mean by the lake shore. Their, their owners have come back from uh, the late night, early morning fishing, uh, empty-handed. They're now cleaning their nets. And one of these boats belongs to Simon, who will be called later on Peter. And Jesus gets in and asks him to push the boat out a little bit so that so that Peter so that Jesus can uh, preach without being smothered by the crowd. But that's not the point of the story. The main point is what happens when he's done teaching. We're told virtually nothing about what he says. After he's done teaching, he tells Simon, let's go back out and and give it another go. And Simon responds, we've been at it all night and the fish just aren't biting. You can imagine how Simon, uh, this seasoned fisherman, must have felt. Fishermen love nothing more than when carpenters show up and tell them how to do their job. He's been doing this all his life. He's already frustrated. It's been a disappointing night and morning. And uh, the woodworker shows up and says, I got you. Let's do this. And yet his response is amazing. He does not respond as I probably would have. He says, we've been at it all night, but at your word, I will try again. Even at this point, he seems to understand enough to trust Jesus. He might be a carpenter, but but there is something different, something so utterly uncommon about this one. And so he goes along with it. All right but he's totally unprepared for what was about to happen. They caught so many fish that the the net starts to break. And this isn't just a move from where are the fish to, oh, there they are. (laughs) This is a move from absolute zero to a hole the likes of which fishermen had never seen before. And so it defies earthly explanation. 
there's something here that goes beyond nature. It's as if the fish want to be caught and the fishermen are the ones being pursued. And so they call their partners to bring out the other boat. And before they're done, they filled, filled both boats. In fact, they filled them so full that the boats begin to sink. And at that point, they have a choice. They can either say, whoa, what a day. Let's hit the pub and celebrate. Or they could look at one another and look at the one who told them to go back out. The one who knew what would happen if they did. The one who could command the fish to come. And like Isaiah, staring the Lord in the face, Simon knew that he was in the presence of no mere man. He's like Isaiah at that moment of truth. He knows now that he has come face to face with the God of heaven, the creator of all things. And in a moment, he is laid bare. Every sinful thought, every sinful word, every sinful action comes flooding back to him. And he knows the day he's dreaded, the day he thought he could put off, when he must give an account to his maker, has come. And the last thing he wants to do is celebrate and hit the pub. because his world is crashing down around him. What would you do? How would you respond? Would you run and hide? Would you speak and say something? And if so, what would you say? What what could you say? Simon has two options. He he can try and hide, either physically or, or through words, excuses and misdirection. Or he can say what he knows and what Jesus knows to be true, that he has no right to be in the presence of such holiness. He can be vulnerable. He can be honest. And there is something that makes us fear being vulnerable when we know that we are in the wrong when we know that we are at at fault, when we know that we have no defense, who wants to say, I blew it? Do you want to call my debt due? Do, Do you want to leave me? This is what we often fail to do. Afraid that the other person will agree and take the opportunity to leave. We, we hate, I hate, giving up leverage. Giving the offended party the freedom to exercise his or her rights.
But what if God is that other person? Who wants to say to God, I've blown it. I've broken your commandments and you owe me nothing. Do you want to abandon me? Because if so, I can't blame you. I deserve it. Who's willing to do that? Would you be willing to give up all leverage and stand naked before the judge simply hoping for mercy? That's exactly what Isaiah did when he saw the Lord's glory. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, when he had that opportunity, he owned it all. He laid it bare. He confessed his absolute unworthiness to stand in the presence of the Lord. Woe is me. Uh, That's like saying a curse on my head. I'm unclean. That's exactly the sentiment Peter embodies. As he turns to Jesus, he falls at his feet. And he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Lord, I I don't deserve to be in your presence. And I can't bring myself to run, so you're going to have to. Depart. Preserve your beauty. Preserve your perfection. Preserve your holiness. Don't get too close, because I'll ruin it. Peter's done two things. He's embraced the truth and he's been vulnerable. And he's left himself without a stitch of leverage or defense. And so his only hope is mercy. To understand Jesus' response to Peter, Luke includes a story that doesn't seem related at first. A leper came to Jesus and like Peter, he falls at, down before Jesus and he begs for mercy. And like Peter, he calls Jesus Lord. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The leprosy was, was a physical impurity. Uh, those who had it were not allowed to live in town with everyone else. They had to live out in the wilderness, out, out in exile. Banished. If they were to enter town, they had to walk through crying out so everybody could hear, unclean, unclean. Stand back. Don't touch me because you will become unclean. If anyone touched them, that uncleanness would spread through touch. Lepers were physically everything Isaiah and Simon Peter confess themselves to be spiritually. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. What better picture could Jesus use to teach us how he deals with our spiritual uncleanness than a leper? And this leper, he knows that Jesus is his only hope. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he acknowledges his uncleanness. But he doesn't stop there. 
he asked to be made clean. And then he heard the sweetest words he could have hoped for. I am willing, be clean. It's really what what Isaiah heard when an angel came uh, and, and grabbed a burning coal and touched Isaiah's lips. The angel says, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. And really it's that same sentiment that's behind Jesus' words to Peter in verse 10 when he says, don't be afraid. Peter's afraid he's going to be abandoned. Afraid his debt's going to be called due. And Jesus is telling Peter that his vulnerability has been met with grace. His confession has been met with forgiveness. His guilt has been met with absolution. Peter's sin has been taken away and he need not fear. This is the message of grace that we so desperately need to hear and yet many are unwilling to hear. It seems that often the people who claim there's no grace with God are the people who never acknowledge their need for it. They make excuses for everything they do. They blame others, never accept blame. They always try to convince other people that they don't need grace because they haven't messed up. And of course, no one's fooled, so the others are constantly trying to point out their failures in a quest for honesty. Constantly challenging the narrative that there's nothing wrong. And grace then never comes because there's never the acknowledgement of the need for it. And then they cry out, there's no grace, everybody expects perfection. And yet the reality is they're living in a prison of their own making. Because if you would experience grace, you must acknowledge your need for it. If you would know the sweet joy of forgiveness, you must confess what needs forgiving. God tells you not to fear the one thing that scares you most, being vulnerable. Cry out like the leper, Lord, make me clean, and he will make you clean. Cry out like Isaiah, woe is me, and he will say your guilt is taken away. Cry out like Peter, I am a sinful man, and you too will hear those words, don't be afraid. But the story doesn't end there. That would be enough the story of, of, of grace and forgiveness that we've heard to this point is amazing, it's glorious, it's, it's wonderful. It's more than we could ask for, but God's grace always goes so far beyond what we could ask for. Not only does Peter find forgiveness, but the Lord tells him, from now on you'll be catching men. 
using the image of this abundant catch that they have just pulled in, that's uh, on the verge of sinking their boats, Jesus tells Peter, from now on, Peter, you'll be fishing for lost souls. You'll now be a witness to the grace that you have received. You'll share this message of forgiveness that you've heard with others. And that too is is even mirrored uh, in the leper who is sent to the priest as a testimony to what Jesus has done. Verse 14. In one quick pivot, Jesus moves from how he forgives Peter to how he is going to use Peter in the building of his kingdom of grace. Well, that shouldn't be surprising to us because this too echoes Isaiah. I hope by this point that's just not surprising. Because after Isaiah saw his Lord, after Isaiah called down a curse on his own head, after Isaiah heard those sweet words of forgiveness, the Lord turns and says, Whom shall we send? Who will go? And Isaiah says, Here am I. Send me. I'll go. I'll tell others about your grace. Peter and Isaiah are both used by God to share the message of salvation, not because they're more holy, not because they're smarter, not because they they have these powerful personalities, but because they owned their sin, they understood their unworthiness. In a very real sense, these two are made worthy in their unworthiness. Placing their confidence in Jesus Verse 11 tells us that Peter and the others left everything they had and followed him. Can you imagine? I mean, they're fishermen by trade. And they just hauled in the biggest catch of their lives. They're about to be legends. The garrison at three or whatever they're going to be called. They're about to have a huge payday. And they're about to eat like kings. And they leave it all behind. Because they don't mistake the sign for the sign giver. They they don't love the gift more than the one who gave it. They understand that the point of the fish was not the fish, but to point to Jesus and to follow him. And so with nothing in their hands, they set out for a new life. What a wonderful picture of what God calls us to. If I can put it bluntly, he is not interested in what you bring, but what you are willing to leave behind. He doesn't need your money, he doesn't need your strength, and he doesn't need your charm. He doesn't need people who are good at convincing others that they have it all together. He's looking for those who understand they have nothing to offer. For the honest and the vulnerable. He's looking for those who understand their need more than their assets. He's looking for those who understand that Jesus is the great prize. And that's it, really. This, this passage 
is focusing on Jesus, whom both Peter and the leper call Lord. They're identifying him as as the God who, who met Isaiah in heaven, but here they're not in heaven. The God of heaven has come down in the most personable of possible ways. He's taken on flesh and blood. And he's met Peter by the lakeside. And he met a leper in a local town. The God of heaven has has come to earth to forgive sins and, and to make the unclean clean. But there's more. Jesus doesn't command the leprosy to come out of the leper. Remember last time we saw that he commanded the the fever to leave Simon's uh, mother-in-law. But here, he doesn't just command the leprosy to leave. He reached out and he touched the leper. That was dangerous because touching one who's unclean means becoming unclean yourself. And yet Jesus is willing to touch the untouchable leper. And take the leper's uncleanness onto himself. Jesus doesn't want to depart and save himself. He's willing to become unclean. And to make this point clear, he sent the leper to the temple where no unclean thing is allowed to enter in. And while he himself went to, and, and this is, I apologize, but desolate place is a terrible translation. The word is wilderness. It's where, it's where John was baptizing. It's where lepers, according to Leviticus, were forced to dwell. Jesus goes into the wilderness where the leper had been. They traded places. That's the cost of cleansing the leper. But of course, as we've already seen, the healing of the leper was was meant to illustrate physically what, what Jesus is doing for Peter spiritually. Because the true uncleanness, the, the true leprosy is our sin. And for Jesus to cleanse us, you and me, he has to trade places and be treated like he is the one who is unclean, like he's the one who is sinful. And that doesn't simply mean being banished into the wilderness, but suffering the pains of hell that our sin deserves. It means being treated as if he were the sinful one. But that's what he's willing to do for those who come to him for grace. That's that's who he is. That's the true beauty of this passage. And that image is is driven home for us in the Lord's Supper where we have a reminder of the price that, that Jesus paid to cleanse us from sin. Dying on the cross. We have a reminder that the, that the Lord of heaven came down to earth to, to touch the untouchables. He came to cleanse us and, and call us to service in his kingdom. What's interesting is that the Bible tells us not to come to this table in an unworthy manner. And of course, such a warning terrifies us. 
For who would dare approach the table of the Lord as if he was worthy of dining at the king of glory's table? Who would be so foolish to think that she deserves to be there? And it's into these fears that that Jesus whispers, don't be afraid. Remember Peter? Remember Isaiah? Remember the leper? I made them worthy. I made them clean. And I will do the same for you. Be vulnerable. Admit your unworthiness. And I will make you clean. Don't be afraid. Please join me in prayer. Father, you know us. No matter how much we think we can hide, the truth is you know us. And so we ask that you would help us to be honest, to be vulnerable before you, confident that you respond to our humility with, don't be afraid, I am willing, be cleansed. And help us to bear testimony to the grace we've received. Not out of our strength or worthiness, but as one sinner telling other sinners where grace is found. And in all of this, we pray that you would receive all the glory. Amen.